Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatter, a podcast from The Gist, with me, Josh Hamilton. Brian Frydenborg, the journalist and author, was my guest on today's show. He's the author of a new book, A Song of Gas and Politics, How Ukraine is at the Center of Trump-Russia. I wanted to get Brian on the show to talk about Trump's impeachment, the Capitol riots, and the current wave of censorship on Twitter. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. So here's Brian. So Brian, well, welcome back to the show. Thanks Second so much for having me. Yeah, not a, not a problem. Um, it's, a, it's a crazy time to be alive. <laughs> Yes, especially here. And I am, for the record, I'm right outside Washington, D.C. in Silver Spring, Maryland. So, Okay, so you're not far away from the action then. Mm-hmm. So um, like, I just want to start actually with uh, the, the question that I'm, the thing is I'm most curious about is uh, why, why impeachment now? I mean, he's done in, like Trump has done in what, like, like five days. Um, he's fairly isolated. There's not really much he can do. Any executive orders he might sign could immediately be revoked. Like, why is it important to impeach him now? I mean, there are so many reasons why it's crucial. And frankly, I'm frustrated that there will not be a trial unless somehow McConnell gives into pressure that there won't be a trial in the Senate concluded before um, he leaves office. And I'll get to that in, in a minute. But first of all, the historical precedent of having a sitting president's at any point in his presidency, but let's say a week or two weeks before he leaves office at this point, being able to incite insurrection against the U.S. government and specifically the Congress while they're voting on, not even voting, but not just just going through the process of tallying electoral college votes with the vice president present, that he can incite a violent mob to enact a revolution and an insurrection to destroy the Constitution and our democratic system of government. And that we can just say, well, you know what? He's got a week left. Just let him finish his term without serious penalty. And at least he'll be gone. It's such a terrible, terrible precedent because to not have severe, extreme, historic consequences for something like that means that there isn't that much of a deterrence to try and do that, that any president towards the end of his term that loses an election can try and pull this and feel like they can walk away with respect and dignity. They can finish out their term and then go do whatever they want. And if they want, they can run again in four years. That's absolutely unacceptable. And the most important thing about impeachment, aside from actually holding account in the moment and, and having a, uh, consequences like being removed from office is that it gives the opportunity and this would only be a majority vote in the senate it would not have to be conviction is what needs two-thirds but then 51 senators or 50 senators plus the vice president can vote to strip trump and any president that does this from ever holding any federal office in the united states again and that is the most important thing here for me because if trump is able to walk away, somehow survive imprisonment, and even from prison, uh, have a movement that he's running and orchestrating. He could very well, I hate to say this, and I do not want to sound hyperbolic, but we saw a taste of this with the Capitol Hill attack. If he has four years to stoke division, hate, fear, and build his movement even more, 
he could rip this country apart and start something of a low-grade civil war. And we simply can't have it. He's such a, a threat to national security. But just the precedent, again, of any president being able to get away with this and not be removed from office. And frankly, I think they should have voted for the articles of impeachment days earlier. And I think there should be an overwhelming campaign for the Senate to conduct its trial now because think of it this way. The crime is we all watched what he did. We all saw what he did, and we all saw the mob do what it did. We all, he said, go march on the Capitol. They did, and then we have reporting that shows that he was pleased at first when they were storming the Capitol. Mm. And even during the assault, he was having his people, and he was calling senators to pressure them to change their votes. And it, it's just it, it's obvious what happened. It's obvious his role in it. And then in terms of witnesses – the Congress was there. They were trapped inside that building while a mob was coming for their blood. There's not anything to even really present as far as evidence or discussion. It's obvious he incited an insurrection and the people voting on it are the ones who were the targets of it and lived through it. It's an open and shut case. They can just vote. They can just vote. And then history can judge how people vote, but they can simply vote. There doesn't have, you can have a few days of formalities, but this is not some in-depth thing where we've got to go into the nuts and bolts of Ukraine policy and State Department cables and what have you. This mm. happened in real time for the whole world to see and the sitting congressmen, senators, and members of the House of Representatives, they all lived through it. So this is, this is so extraordinary and so obvious and so dangerous that I think, you know, having a day each for the defense and the prosecution or what have you a day maybe for like we could get this whole thing done and still voted on before biden takes office but it doesn't look like that will happen so that disappoints me because in addition to being the only president to ever have been impeached twice and to account for half of presidential impeachments which is certainly something the history books are going to know i hmm. was really hoping that you would have had him removed for office that mike pence would have been president for just a few days and that 500 years in the future now from now when kids are asking mommy why is this president just president for a few days because that'll stand out so much more than than impeachment it will be such a black stain that no president will ever try and do anything like this again the consequences and the disgrace and the mark of history will be so severe but without impeachment and he just walks away i think that's a green light to other people in the future who would try to do it and just be better at it the next time mm. I take your point, especially on the on the being better uh, or sort of, yeah, like a, a lot of people commented through the whole, the, through Trump's whole term that if he was, if he was smarter, he would have been a lot more dangerous. Or if, if he was more str like strategic, he would have been a lot more dangerous. Um, but like, like one of the things, uh, like we'll get to the, we'll get to the reasons that the, the people marched on, on the Capitol um, in a little bit. But like one of, one of the things that, that I've been somewhat confused about, honestly, is um, the difference between, and you, you, can, you can really, like, I'm really curious as to how you see it, is like the, the difference between the reaction to, to this and uh, to the storming of the Capitol and the reaction to, to the, the riots that, that evolved out of the, the Black Lives Matter protests. To me, they both seem like um, people attempting to make their voice heard in a peaceful manner to begin with, um, that something that then escalated into, in terms of the capital, people, um, yeah, people ended up uh, storming the capital. Or in the terms of the summer, there was a, 
there was something like $2 billion of, of damage done um, to both government buildings and private businesses. And uh, honestly, like, uh, like watching, um, watching Trump discuss the, the, his, well, the alleged <laughs> election fraud um, over the past like two, three months, and, and like people saying that he was asking for them to march on the Capitol, which he did. Um, he did say peacefully and patriotically, but I do take your, your point about inciting, inciting like in, in terms of constantly repeating the, the, the election was stolen. These people are dangerous to the, to the country. Um, and, and just and real quick, rather- the peacefully and patriotically part, if I remember uh, correctly, and I'm double checking that right now, that was something he tweeted out during the that he tweeted that out during the riot no when I'm, they were I'm already about, there i'm talking about the speech that he gave before um he, he definitely said peacefully and patriotically okay I, yes that's true he did video, say that during the speech i watched, I watched the, the, the thing about him is he often dissembles and like he often will say one thing and then he'll say something because he knows he kind of has to but then he'll imply something different mm. um because yeah, then he no, was he's, saying he's you know we really gotta get tough yeah so he did say that, but you know, that, that wasn't the emphasis. No, I, 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 I take your point. But like my, my question, my question really is like the, the difference between like the reaction from, <clears throat> from a lot of the media, from politicians during the summer, like, um, like Nancy Pelosi said, there should be like mass uprising. I don't know why there isn't like mass uprisings on the streets. There was people calling for like blood. There was, um, what's his name from CNN, Cuomo saying um you know sometimes protests like protests don't have to be peaceful and like there was well there was more violent rhetoric as well um talked about during the black lives matter um riots but like and and, and i take well, that did pelosi say mass uprisings was yeah that, she, was she, was, she i know louis gomer like, just said that but yeah I, no she was um in the summer she said like I'm, I'm like i'm surprised there's not mass uprisings in the streets there should be like like it was a quite an offhand thing but like just my my, my question is like i I'm confused about about like the rhetoric because like is is one kind of violent protest okay and the other not or are they both bad or do do you get my point like I'm really confused about like the the the, the level of like reaction because I was horrified by both I was horrified by like cars and buildings being set on fire I was horrified when like people like stormed through Washington during Trump's inauguration and they were like smashing windows and stuff like violent protest always is is for me always bad like that that brings nothing it, regardless of what you're fighting against which is normally like people's interpretation that the government has gone tyrannical right and and violent protest just makes the government more tyrannical like it brings crackdowns it brings censorship it brings like harsher laws it brings things like the patriot act and and like do do, do you find that there's have you like noticed that there's like a difference between the reaction to this like like violent protest and the and the the violent protest in the summer like like how do you, how do you view that all because this this is the thing that's been perplexing me most Sure. You know, and I'm, I've actually been having those discussions with some people recently and I'm happy to get into that. And I, I'm not going to try and make the issue with the insurrection a kind of a both sides discussion, but there does need to be discussion about some of the issues with protests in the summer and the left as well. I'll just start off by saying I was just researching that, that Pelosi quote and uh, the quote that um, she said where it was something along the lines of, I just don't know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, which it was actually, That's there was the a one. lot of social media campaigns that juxtaposed that with the, 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 the protests and, and sometimes rioting 
with the Black Lives Matter uh, protests this past summer. She actually said that um, uh, two summers ago. Uh, really? And yeah, and so the quote was in relation to uh, the issue with parent separation and migrant children being put in cages and all that mm. around the border. And her quote was, um, in order to do away at that crown jewel, they're doing away with children being with their moms. I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. And maybe there will be when people realize that this is a policy that they defend. So she wasn't talking about like armed people or people going into the streets and like destroying stuff, but she meant like outrage and protests and people being really upset about that. So that's from PolitiFact. And that's in terms of her quote, in terms of quote unquote uprisings and all that. Um, that doesn't mean that there weren't people on the left who were calling for more violence uh, and justifying the violence. I'm going to get to that. But anyway, to deal with your, Question as a whole, we have to step back and look at the, the larger sense of what was happening. So with Black Lives Matter and the protests in this past summer, you had uh, a pandemic that was absolutely disproportionately affecting people of color, uh, economically and medically. Mm-hmm. And you had people that were stuck at home, especially in urban areas. They were, they were stuck at home in, uh, you know, closer quarters, not like out in their little house out in the the countryside and with not a whole lot to do and and live streaming almost we get to see this brutal murder of george floyd but then this is juxtaposed to a bunch of other incidents that happened over the last few years and in the preceding Mm -hmm. months where even if it was a black person who was doing something criminal they were basically gunned down and summarily Maybe not intentionally executed, maybe sometimes, uh, but either way, it was black bodies, black people being killed in ways that were just not really justifiable by the police. Even if the person was committing some kind of a crime, they were generally not armed with a gun or uh, some kind of immediate threat, but like lethal threat to the police. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these were just people who were innocent sitting at home in their apartment, like Breonna Taylor, for example. Yeah. Uh, and, or they were in police custody and mistreated. Um, so you have that and you have this rage just exploding where over and over again, these people, the police officers who carried this out just didn't suffer any serious consequences. Maybe they got fired or a slap on the wrist, but they essentially killed someone and then got to walk away. And this just blew up between the pandemic and everybody being at home and and being stuck watching TV and being on the internet even more. And we're going to get to that, by the way, on the right as well. Mm. But this is last summer. It's very understandable that these people, African-Americans who have suffered discrimination in general, uh, more than almost any other group of Americans, you can make a good argument for maybe uh, um, Native Americans, but you know, this, there are far more African-Americans and Native Americans and, uh, you have this long history, and even though things have gotten better, we've had the Voting Rights Act since 1965, for example, Barack Obama was president, but that doesn't solve all these things. And now these people have a voice, and they actually are heard, and their representatives listen to them so much more. And they see this, and they see almost nothing happening. And I want to be clear. I'm not justifying the violence. I'm not justifying the burning down a police station. I'm not justifying taking over part of Portland and making it an autonomous zone, which was very much an exception. That was nuts. But that was not something replicated throughout the country. That was its own special little thing. Um, 
But you you had justifiable, I want to make this very clear, you had absolutely justifiable anger and frustration. And again, violence, uh, charging at the police or, or starting fights at the police or trying to burn down a police department, that's absolutely not acceptable. And people were prosecuted. There were, there were hundreds and hundreds of arrests, I think probably even thousands. I, I know there were at least many hundreds of arrests throughout. I think I, think I saw uh, there was 19,000 arrests over the whole summer. Okay, yeah. So good. You, you're, you're more researched on that point than I am. 19,000 arrests. But let's again be clear. These were people, most of them, the, the protesters. And I actually, I went, I was in D.C. for some of these protests, okay? What you had for the most part were overwhelmingly peaceful protesters but then you would have at night you would have troublemakers come out and the police departments that have investigated have found a lot of right-wing white nationalist people were were some of the chief instigators and chief vandalizers trying to masquerade as black lives matter protesters and this has been captured on video this is from police investigations um, but you definitely had some extremist members of, uh, if not Antifa, which is a very small nebulous group, just anarchists that show up for these kind of things that are always showing up for like the WTO, mm. you know, organization meetings or what have you. Um, and you had some just random looters who weren't really with the protesters, but came out at night when they realized the police weren't around and they could get away with some stuff. And you had some pretty bad nights in LA, Chicago, New York, um, and those were a few nights, really at one peak moment throughout the summer, one kind of peak week. But then almost all the protests beyond that um, throughout the summer were peaceful. There was not that much vandalism, apart again from some very disturbing nights in a number of major cities at one kind of peak, right? Mm. Um, but again, these are people who have every right to be angry. And frankly, like those police departments, are very corrupt in that they have always, always held that quote unquote blue line where they do not hold people accountable, where the Justice Department has to interfere like under Obama with Ferguson and even the Justice Department then didn't really come down that hard, um, but they just have not held their people accountable. So if I am a black person and I've had a relative or friend killed by the police or abused by the police or arrested unfairly or what have you. And I start and I throw a Molotov at the police department. That's absolutely wrong. And I'm not justified, but that anger and that sentiment doesn't come from a crazy, insane, like completely illogical position. Hmm. And again, there were consequences for these people. As you said, 19,000 something people were arrested. And let's look at the federal response. Forget about Washington for a second. They sent federal police into places like Portland and other places, and they were grabbing people off the streets in unmarked vans. Yeah, Some of those people horrible. were not even... Yes. And that was on the orders of Trump specifically. And the, I was in D.C. during these other protests. They had the military out. They had... It was National Guard, but they had the military out. They had Humvees out. They had DEA, ATF, uh, par National Park Service, they had National Wildlife, Forest, whatever. They had every federal agency, DHS, uh, Customs and Border Protection, you name it. They had every person out they could in tactical gear, body armor, with guns, and they did not hesitate to use force when Trump wanted a photo op to go to that church. Mm. Okay, contrast that now. Now we're going to jump to what happened recently. You have completely unjustified baseless conspiracy theories about the election 
Okay. And I actually got to interview recently the Georgia Secretary of State, the Georgia Deputy Secretary of State, and the voting implementation manager, that's Brad Raffensperger, Jordan Fuchs, Gabriel Sterling. The first and third were on TV a lot. Brad Raffensperger was the guy Trump called a couple days into the new year, and I interviewed him two days before this to have that stupid Don Corleone, like, can you find some votes for me? It's just 11,000 votes. Come on. <laughs> like, that was so blatant. And that got released. That's the guy I'm talking about, okay? I interviewed him. And you can listen to that. We, I, hopefully we can post a link to that. I interviewed him and his deputy and, and the other guy who became famous for absolutely calling out. He, he, he was the guy more than anybody who first forcefully, as a Republican, said, this has to stop. This is going to lead to violence. People are going to die. We're getting death threats. Okay. And he was just on 60 Minutes. Um, so I got to talk to them. And these were Republicans carrying out their job like that wanted Trump to win and supported the Republican Party and were not happy with the outcome, but their job is to count the votes, not to change the votes. And again, there just is there are voting irregularities in every election, and there's such tiny, small fractions, they never end up making the difference or an outcome. I mean, you could make some arguments going back to the 1960s, and of course you had Jim Crow and all that. Um, there's a 1960 election, which is really close with Kennedy and Nixon, where some shady stuff may have gone down. It seems like it did. But that's that was a long time ago. We have a much different, much more transparent system now. And there's no basis. There's no factual basis. And there is no evidence that anywhere near anywhere near enough shenanigans or tampering or irregularities occurred to switch the outcome in any of the states that we're talking about that were swing states or to change the outcome overall of the presidential election. So what you had were a largely white mob of people. And this is largely Trump's largely white voters. 83% of his voters are white. Um, and most of these people are subscribing and trafficking in crazy conspiracy theories like QAnon, anti-Semitic, like sex ring child sex ring within the government drinking blood all this crazy insane stuff and they are agitated and they decide to try to storm capitol hill to a lot of them to kill lawmakers to hang mike pence to go after pelosi to force them to pressure them to intimidate them to change their voting on a on, a, on certifying the tallies this is not based in reality. These are not black people who are being killed by the police on a regular basis and their friends and family and community, okay? These are crazy extremist, far-right white people detached from reality, believing in absolute nonsense that officials in their own party at the local, state, and national level, that even Trump's attorney general, at dozens and dozens of federal and state lawsuits and judges, including judges appointed by Trump and Republican judges, have said this is nonsense. This is baseless. A nine-nothing Supreme Court uh, ruling, essentially, it was seven-two, uh, two ruling procedurally that yes, we should hear this out of a procedural perspective, but saying no, there's no merits to the, this case. The Supreme Court essentially nine-zero on the merits of the case. This is nonsense, including Trump's most recent appointee. These people are now starting violence and instigating violence against members of Congress and the U.S. Capitol building. Not a local police department. Neither is good. 
but this is where I'm getting at. The motivations of both are not the same. One is based on a very, very real problem of systemic racial injustice. Another is based on pure delusional fantasy. And the fantasy was stoked by Trump and senior Republicans and endorsed by most of the Republican Party. And as I mentioned earlier, the reason I, I wanted to take time to debunk that, that quote being associated with Pelosi and those mm -hmm. protests is that senior Democrats were very clear, Biden, Pelosi, and others. They condemned the violence. They condemned the rioting. They condemned the looting. But they did support the protests. Now, there were some other Democrats that were more extreme, far left, who were talking about you know, uh, this is the vandalism is justified. The, the rioting is justified. And going back to Chris Cuomo's point, sometimes peaceful protest isn't enough. That's not saying let's go kill people. But essentially, I mean, I don't know if we in this country have a conversation we did about race and policing. If some of those protests didn't get a little bit out of hand, because let's be honest, for decades, African-Americans and, and their communities have been holding peaceful protests about these very same issues. And what has changed? For many years. I mean, no, there's other things. There's been a lot of progress, but policing in particular, there have been a lot of problems. And you keep getting these, these videotaped murders of people that are not a threat to anyone. And so the outrage is justifiable. Sometimes, you know, I mean, look at Europe. I mean, uh, the French have uh, their yellow jackets and, and um, you know, I mean, continental Europe has much more of a history of confrontational protests. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying the idea that you look at the Black Lives Matter protests and you can't say that's understandable, maybe even a little bit justifiable, but overall the violence, no. I think that has to be the perspective there. And then looking at baseless conspiracy theories by these uh, held by these Trump people and, and, and trying to say that, oh, well, that's the same as people who have been long oppressed by the government, actually oppressed. These white, I mean, what I want to ask you a question in that. Have you ever seen a bigger discrepancy in terms of how the police were mobilized and how they treated protesters mm. than in the Black Lives Matter protesters and then in the these people, these officers helping old ladies who had stormed the Capitol gently down the stairs yeah, with that, the Capitol storming? That, that really confused me, man. Like, I just want to say, by the way, that like uh, the, 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 the George Floyd video was fucking horrible. And I, I, I'm very familiar with, I've, I've, I've watched for, for many years, some of the disgusting like videos that, that have come out of America with you know, people just being, being gunned down or, or like, like I've, I can't remember who it was um, in Ferguson, Michael Brown, was that it? That was one of the worst yeah. things I saw. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so, so I, I, like I said, I get the rage. I really do. But I also like the, the, the thing I understand um, from, from the, 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 well, from the Republican Party is now like there's there's something like 60, 70, maybe even 80 percent of Republicans don't trust the election result. Right. Yeah. And it's that's uh, a even now, 75 percent between 66 yeah. and 75 percent of Republicans approve right. of Trump's. Yeah. Behavior. So, right yeah. Now. So. Right. So like. Right. OK. So th this is this is the next thing I want to get to is like. Right. OK. They there's there was a lot of like bullshit going around on the Internet about 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 different things um, in the election. There was also like some some like some things for me that, that raised some legit questions about about what was going on like that. Just there was there was like hundreds of sworn affidavits that like that, that's 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 under oath. Like and, and, and for me, if you have that high a percentage of people not trusting an election, it's 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 the federal government's 
as a whole responsibility to, to prove and, and show these people that, that the election was okay, you know, or, or, or it doesn't get any better. Do you, do, do you get my point? Like, I feel like their, their other dismissal of, of any, like, I, I feel like it was, a, it was a serious fucking idiotic move from, from them to storm the Capitol while they were meant to be, like, presenting the arguments that they had for, like, voter fraud and, and stuff like that. Um, it, and then they didn't end up like presenting the arguments in Congress because that was their day to do it. Like that was their moment to have their day in court or, or as such and like to show people what they had essentially. But I, I guess I got to disagree in that they already went through dozens of, I mean, over 60 state and federal and in including a Supreme Court. Okay, they I mean, the Supreme, 60 the Supreme times where they pres- was was pres- was um, was was a bit. It, it wasn't really like challenging the things that, that I think like credible people were questioning about the election. Like some of the okay. things that confuse, like it was, it was uh, Texas were challenging different laws in some of the swing states where they had like changed the way they were accepting or uh, mail-in ballots. And they were challenging that on a, on a constitutional level. Um, as far as I okay, was so you're aware. talking more about the nuts uh, and bolts stuff. So yeah, that happened like, like at the state and like, federal level. You had yeah. all these cases where they brought all this information, and this yeah. is what's incredibly interesting: is that Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and, and other members of Trump's legal team, mm. and either formally with the campaign or operating on their own, there were arguments that they would make in public before cameras, mm-hmm. and they would say X amount of stuff, and you have to subtract from that what they were actually willing to present in court, Hmm. not during a one-sided hearing in Michigan where only the Republicans call witnesses. I don't know what the heck that stuff was. I'll get Hmm. to that in a second. That was with the drunk woman that they parodied on SNL. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, she, she wasn't, she wasn't a good good example. There was, there was, there was more credible testimony for uh, Well, but here's the thing. So what you had with with that, and this is important. This is really important detail. What you had with that, because I watched a lot lot of that interview. So Hmm. she was obviously the most easily parodiable person there yeah uh but the other people there may have been one guy who was like a new like actual election observer but the other people there were these two south asian uh americans who were um uh tech people they were there to audit observe like the technical aspects of the equipment they were not trained election observers so what you had because like but i think you have was their query many, many... not based on the um voting machines being connected to to um like outside servers and they were claiming that that is uh, that made them yeah all that dominion stuff compromise yeah i mean and actually dominion... if, if you listen to my podcast with with the gabriel sterling and Barbara, they talk about this whole dominion thing mm. as well because they use those machines in their state and there's a paper trail they audit all this they make sure like if so if somebody puts in same vote a hundred times and is trying to like gin up the count Mm. at the very end of everything you'll see these are all the ballots we received and here's the number of votes that came out and you would have seen that oh there's a discrepancy and then they would have found that one vote was counted a hundred times when they did the audit which they did Mm. do after right and the problem with some of these other people with these affidavits is what you had is i think a, a fair number of people who honestly just were not trained election workers were there in different capacities, like, like the IT people. And they looked at some stuff and like, well, this looks pretty, pretty, pretty sketchy to me. Mm. It looks like they're triple counting ballots, not understanding 
exactly how the audit process would go after and, and that this was going to be something that would be addressed. And so I think several of those people, as I mentioned, the two South Asian Americans, I think they were honest people. One of them was very clearly an ideologue. She's her statement in the middle of her testimony, she says, I don't listen to secular music. And then she talked about how she felt white people were the Americans really being discriminated against and that their voices needed to be heard. So mm -hmm. she came from some kind of weird, I don't know what her mentality was, but I think she was being honest. And to her, it looked like there were shenanigans going on, but this is to the point of all the affidavits that we're talking about, where there are a lot of these were just honest fools who did not understand what they were doing and it looked bad to them and in their capacity, they were describing what looked like bad behavior. You had hundreds of people at all of these locations for the most part. You had people from both parties and independents as observers and, and, and adjudicators when there was a dispute about a ballot, all right? And a lot of the times what you had were people from the Trump campaign who wanted to get in. And this is already socially distanced for the most part because of coronavirus, you can't have the same number of people as you normally could. Mm. So you had these claims where people weren't let in. These were Trump campaign officials. There were already Republicans in there. And you had hundreds of people in these rooms and if one, two or three people has an affidavit that they thought they saw some crazy stuff mm -hmm. and the other hundred people or 97 or 200 people or whatever are saying, no, everything was fine. They just didn't understand what was going on. And that's essentially what happened in the court cases. You would have these affidavits and other people, and then you would have judges rule, as in the case of the people in Michigan, who sounded more credible than that Melissa Caron woman. Mm -hmm. They would be ruling and saying, look, this person's testimony just is incredible. They're not what they're staying and understand what they're talking about because you had the state then. This wasn't the televised Michigan hearing, which was just the Senate and House Republicans in Michigan having Giuliani and his people come and testify without the Democrats having freedom to really question or bring witnesses. The court case, the court hearings, you had uh, uh, the state bring all kinds of statements from people who were there and also election officials debunking and corroborating each other, right? Whereas the other side was a few isolated people that didn't really corroborate anything apart from their, they just had their own testimony that did not necessarily match up with the other people Giuliani put forward. They, they had a theme that they agreed on, but they did not corroborate the details of what they saw one person to one person. So when you have a hundred people in a room and two or three people genuinely believe they saw some crazy stuff and don't understand it. And they, put out an affidavit and then you have all the other people and no one says anything. Right. Mm. So that's what we're dealing with. So yes, there were these individual statements that if you just take them by themselves, look like, Hmm. And there are issues where like certain rules maybe weren't felt about this and that. I mean, you have thousands and thousands of polling places and election officials, not everyone knows all the rules properly, but in general, what you have by far with very few exception is uh, very few irregularities to the point that any election would be overturned because you always have these problems. You always have an accidental ballot here, a ballot lost there, but mm. it does not determine the outcome of elections. So I just wanted to address that. I know I yeah, went yeah. No, very that's, detailed that's, there, but that's, these, that's right, these affidavits weren't, yeah, these affidavits were, were not corroborated by any significant number of people that were, were these were, this was not a room of five people and like one person's blowing the whistle and four other people were in on the conspiracy. This mm. is dozens and dozens and hundreds of people, local election officials of both parties who are not co-opted by this Trumpist movement, but just take this. They've been doing this for years. They take this seriously. They're there to honestly try and count the votes, mm. not to try and stack one side against the other. Uh, even when there are people like that, the vast majority of these people are the first category I described, and they're there to catch that stuff. 
So you have all these checks and balances. You had the media being able to observe most of the time. And you, even if not for various reasons, you still had Republican and Democratic elected officials throughout the process observing. Hmm. I guess for me, for me, like one, one, one point actually very quickly is that I have no idea why, why you would trust machines made to, to, to count your vote. Like in the UK, everything is counted by hand. And that just seems like the smartest way to do it. You can't fuck with someone counting by hand. And if you do, you can just count it again. It's, it's a great system, you know? <laughs> like, like I, I honestly d- don't get why, why there's the need for voting machines. Because like, if we can count how many votes we've got in the UK, like surely just by scaling it by the number of people you have in America, you should be able to find loads of people to count it by hand. But anyway, um, I guess well, so you, my, my question to you is, I'm actually curious about this with the UK. My question to you is, who counts the votes? Are these paid government officials? Um, I'm not sure if they're paid or if they're volunteers, actually. But um, yeah, because in the US, a lot of it is is volunteers, right? I mean, like you um, could so pay you had them, a lot of people the money you would spend on the voting machines. I agree. <laughs> I think we should. Although you the know, machines are cheaper. But what sure. I'll say about that is, is. Yeah, you can be sure no one hacked it if there's no machine. <laughs> well, with Georgia, for example, what they did was a hand recount mm. after the machine counts. They did a hand recount. Mm. And when there were problems, there were some problems with machines in certain counties and other places in the country where the, the machines weren't working, they then did it by hand. Mm. And so you had audits and certifications, many of them hand recounts, and especially in the really close swing states, because like they requested recounts in different places in different counties, and yeah, they were yeah. shown to be accurate. So like there were concerns about the voting machines and then the system has these checks and safeguards. And in each case, they were shown to have been okay. Mm. Um, I'm not against the idea of having it be, you know, uh, hand recount, but what, what these are doing is it's, it's, they're counting, there are paper trails for the ballots and then they're counting often paper ballots. Mm. So it's not this like it's not some like centralized online system where like the Russians can hack into the internet and just start no. doing whatever. It's it's no. I mean I think um, there was some there was some some they find some of the voting machines were were connected to the internet for for whatever reason in a couple of different places. Um, but like right, I, I want to get to I, I don't want to get bogged down in all these kind sure. of tiny technicalities. I'd like to get to <laughs> to um, like how how the country like attempts to like move forward. Because for me, the best thing that the Democrats could have done would just be like, okay, no problem. We're going to have three days um, with lawyers in Congress and you're going to present all your evidence. Come on, like, like, come on, get, get your fucking dick out. Let's see what you got. Like, and then <laughs> if there's nothing, then there's nothing. Like, I don't like for me, it's always like sunlight is always the best disinfectant, like, like trying to force, like trying to like, like removing Trump from Twitter or, or like deleting parlor and all of these things. It just like adds fuel to the fire. Whereas the, like for me, the best thing is like, you just, you just stop and go, right, come on, let's, let's do it then. Let's, you know, like you, you've been demanding your day in court. Let's have it out. Like, come on, let's see, let's see it. Like, and then, and then have, have it, have it done. Like, and then it's out there. Like he's had his opportunity to present this, this, you know, all this evidence that they claim to have. And, and like for me, that would be the most sensible thing in in to 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 get rid like in order to get people to then trust in the system again. Because like for me, the most scary thing is that like 70 percent of a Republican still don't trust the election. And like, how do you think how do you think America tries to like 
I don't know, come back together and, 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 you know, have like a more of a, I don't know, like a common, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say culture, but like just, just that the, the, they don't become, you don't become even more divided because of this. Like, like, what are your thoughts on that there? Well, I definitely, definitely, definitely want to get to that because that's incredibly important. And that's, it's the most important question this country has right now. I do want to briefly address a couple of points you made that I, I generally agree with you that sunlight is the best disinfectant up to a point though. Hmm. Um, and that point for me is, you know, like a lot of people, for example, Ann Coulter is this very right wing kind of extreme person, but she has a certain logic. She may have some other facts wrong, but she's not completely lying and just making stuff up. She presents an argument that very much should have a light shown on it and have a credible person debate it and expose it for how bad it is. Okay. Um, we're so far beyond that with the Trump situation. So number one, I'll just repeat real quickly that there are literally thousands of pages of court rulings going through all this evidence in detail and explaining how it's it's, it's nonsense mm. that whatever the individual pieces of information people are putting together, that what the, 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 the claimants are saying that represents and means is, is nonsense. It does not mean that. And it did not represent or, or account any significant level of anything that they're talking about. So mm. that has been gone, has gone through our court system and litigated to death. And they are batting zero, essentially, uh, on that. Zero. Okay. <laughs> there was one ruling where there was something along the lines of some mail-in ballots that shouldn't have been counted. And they got a few hundred ballots tossed out. That's not the substance of their argument. On the substance of their argument, they batted zero in a court system filled with Republican judges and some Trump-appointed judges, okay? So that's number one. Number two, um, the Congress, when they meet on January 6th in the, this year, it's like the Wednesday after the whatever the, the, the law says. It's not the Constitution that determines that day, but there's a law. They have to do this on a certain day. That is not the time to litigate uh, these issues. Essentially, it's a tally. And what we had in the past, the reason we have this law is in the dispute election of 1876, there were three southern states that were still occupied by, by northern troops um, as part of Reconstruction. And they sent dueling sets of electors because the Black vote was essentially majorly suppressed. So you had two sets of electors, one that included a Black vote or disputed the fact that the white supremacists were, were essentially using violence and murder and mayhem to do. So you had two sets of electors. And in that situation, Congress's job was, all right, we got to adjudicate which. And there was this whole disputed election that ended up with the, this is when the Democrats were the KKK and they were the super racists and the Republicans were standing up for freed slaves. Okay. The mm -hmm. Democrats agreed if the new, if they would give the Republican chosen electors to the they would let them stand they would withdraw the democratic electors uh, essentially and then allow a republican rutherford b hayes to be president if he once he took office would withdraw the last northern troops from the south that's why we have the ability for a state uh for, for congressional officials to object to the, the the vote tallies coming in if there's some serious issue where there's a dispute within the state or the state has very clearly like suppressed votes or done something awful. This is not what happened. We have bipartisan officials uh, certify these results, Republicans and Democrats in all these swing states, and there was no serious uh, question 
Again, serious question, not baseless question. So that was the day they had their day in court. This played out over several months from November 6th all the way through January 6th. That was November to December, December to January. They had two months, essentially. So that part of that is not the time to do that. And what happened is, even though the court struck all this information down with your sunlight argument, People still believe what they wanted to believe because the right wing disinformation networks would simply take the arguments that their side made, not show any of the counter evidence, not show them being debunked, not quote the court rulings in detail where they showed this is false mm. and just kept repeating it. So if you had had, you said, take a few days to have all this be represented again, it would have just been used for more disinformation. Absolutely nobody's mind would have been changed. These people are not open to any counter argument. Like if you engage with them online, they just present their debunked information or their false information or their manipulated information over and over and over again. And that gets to your main question. I really don't know what we do because I think part of what we had, I mentioned with Black Lives Matter, there were a bunch of people home in the middle of the summer, full of angst and frustration, unemployed, the Republicans at this time were delving into all these crazy conspiracy theories, first about Black Lives Matter protests, oh, George Soros, is, but then it's still the pandemic, right? And so what they were getting into was this rabbit hole of QAnon and election fraud. And so there's so much disinformation out there, it's insane. And this goes back to our earlier podcast, the Russians, we didn't pay that much attention now to what the Russians were doing because we had so many people here doing doing it anyway without the Russians. But the Russians throughout this whole period had been amplifying this voter fraud stuff, this this election fraud uh, crap, this bullshit. It's honestly bullshit. If you look at any of the court rulings with Republican judges writing these responses, it's clear that this is just nonsense. So I don't know how we can fight this level of disinformation because if you watch any of the videos of these Trump people that were there in Washington, if you listen to any of them, they were all nuts. But these are not just a tiny fringe. I mean, if Trump had 74 million people voting for him and two thirds of three quarters approve of what he's doing now and believe in this stuff, even though it's been debunked and the information is so readily available, it's out there. You can listen to Republican officials, the ones I interviewed, people who supported Trump and wanted him to win, but are just doing their jobs and saying, this is nonsense. It has to stop. It has no effect. They want to primary these people. They say they want to impeach them. They actually want to kill these people. So I'm terrified as an American that there's nothing in the short term that can be done. My only hope, honestly, is that Biden will do such a good job having Congress now and having enough votes in the Senate to get his agenda accomplished, that it will help enough people in the short term and in the medium term that that'll just you know all these people at home on their computer out of work or whatever doing their thing and enough of these people will start getting back to normal life once the pandemic goes down that will start getting benefits from the government uh, that will start seeing that things are better that the biden will just win them over that way but ideology dies hard this is like white isis here any of these terrorist movements whether it's al-qaeda or other extremist movements throughout the world they are not open to persuasion, the vast majority of them. And these people have been radicalized by Fox News, by Breitbart, by O, uh, ANN, um, One American News Network, all these Newsmax, the people that are, are, are saying Fox is too liberal. 
just watch Fox News. I encourage any of your viewers to find clips of Fox News to how they discuss. It's incitement. It's radicalization. It, it mirrors ISIS propaganda. And these people oh, wow. are consuming it day in and day out. I mean, I remember watching Fox. I checked in on Fox after Biden gave his very eloquent, emotional speech accepting the nomination. And it was pictures of cars on fire and black protesters and people saying the world was ending and socialists and Antifa are coming for you. They're coming. And they were literally saying they're coming to the suburbs. They're coming to your house next. That's what you were hearing on Fox. And it's all day, all night. Most of the time, there's just a few people who speak out and they quit and resign or leave the network. And there's even more right wing news to the right of, of Fox that has been appearing so it's it's terrifying because those people in that crowd there is nothing anyone if jesus christ himself came back from the dead and told them <laughs> stop it you're idiots this is bullshit they would have called for his hanging yeah well, and i'm mean, not trying to be funny no nobody i, I think honestly though i think appear. i think i think most people in america would consider jesus to be uh to be some sort of um weird drugged up hippie if they heard him say the things he said <laughs> true most people would uh but weeks ago they would have fallen mike pence to the grave they would have followed him to the grave they would have believed anything he said and then they were calling to hang him the second anybody turns on trump or criticizes trump they want they're out for heads and he just spouts nonsense and so we're going to your point on twitter okay um when you're presenting good faith arguments in a debate and you want to be heard, absolutely, you should not be censored. So, for example, and I hope this will happen, when the Chinese foreign ministry is tweeting about how nice they're treating the Uyghurs with their job retraining program, that should absolutely be taken down. Mm. But the problem with Trump, and he did this during the riot, he posted tweets that were insightful of violence. So it's clear and even when he gave that that video where he's like, oh, go home, be whatever. He didn't even say go home, I think. But there was yeah. that video, yeah, not the first video, home. but the second video. He said, I love you. You're super people. It's a wonderful day, yes. but go home. But then after that, he, he posted another video that was more muted and was more condemnatory of the violence. And then within 24 hours, he was telling his people, I shouldn't have done that. I regret it. And on the plane to the Alamo uh, this past Tuesday, he was telling them, I still won the election. So you cannot have people use these platforms to continue incitement and to spread total lies and baseless claims and misinformation and disinformation. And that is what Parler became, a hotbed of extremist organizing and misinformation and disinformation. So ultimately, if these platforms are being abused that way, you have to stop it. You've got to limit it. You can't uh, – listen, no one says al-Qaeda and ISIS – Where's their freedom of speech? Why don't we get? Why don't they are aren't they entitled to their videos? Well, they're I mean, just making just, points uh, about Western imperialism. Just, just, just to note, the thing that disturbs me about the Trump ban is that uh, Viktor Orban, uh, Erdogan, Vladimir Putin all still have Twitter accounts. Like, <laughs> um, it's 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 just for me. It seems to be like a like a, a quite a. a an understandable, but I think heavy-handed reaction from 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 Silicon Valley. Like it's for me. I, like I was writing about this today for my second book, and like we we have to. There's 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 something that has to happen in in America or in the whole world, probably 
where we have to we have to like actually have a legit discussion about how far freedom of speech goes online like what is the acceptable thing how much is it protected what can people say like did it's it's because it's such a it's 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 for me super concerning that most of our information almost now all comes through social media right most of what people see and hear about is through social yes. media, especially right now with the pandemic which is i think probably the reason that we had both the riots and the capital storming i think about the pandemic oh, social media made it huge but, yeah so huge contributor yes social media is and so but like our sphere of what we see and hear is under the control of about five or six people who <laughs> who are who are all in contract with the federal government for 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 one thing or another and they're happy to hand over all our personal information to 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 the nsa or mi5 or whoever asks for it from whatever government and for me the most dangerous thing is that these five or six people are literally just the lords of what we can see and hear and like uh, i i take your point about about trump inciting the violence but like for them to just say right you that's too far done like that's really dangerous that they have the power to just like wipe someone off the face of the internet um, because it's not that's not the that's not like the government voting for something like that against like your freedom of speech that's not like people on a platform like all deciding by majority vote that someone should be gone like there's there's no democracy in that it's like a bunch of billionaires telling us what we can see and and it's the for me the most scary thing is the precedent that that sets He's like, well, I absolutely agree in principle with, with everything you're saying. Like, I, I first of all, I, I hate Twitter. I hate Facebook. I mean, <laughs> as a writer, I have to use these things, uh, but I cannot stand them. And their algorithms are pushing hate and disinformation and misinformation and incitement. Fate, the, the genocide, the ethnic cleansing in Burma against the Rohingya people uh, is absolutely being carried out on Facebook. The incitement, the organizing, the hate speech. Mm. on facebook there's a lot of stuff going on in india against muslims and or against individual you know uh, people who are more sexually promiscuous or this, they get shamed and murdered by mobs and they're pointed and this is happening on, on these social media platforms there's a lot of horrible things happening outside of the west in countries where there's unacceptable levels of incitement and hate speech mm. happening that are leading to literally people being murdered and killed uh by mobs so that's that's a huge problem and for me i don't like these it's not that these companies are doing too much now it's that they haven't done enough before and you mentioned vladimir putin and victor orba they are not tweeting out specifically violent incitement they are tweeting out stuff that we don't like that we don't agree with they're tweeting out propaganda to make themselves look good they're not tweeting out absolute disinformation about legitimate elections. They're not tweeting out absolute, provably false disinformation about key major civic events. And Trump was doing that nonstop. And they didn't do anything until towards the very end, until after the election. Like once the election happened, then they started labeling his tweets. This is disputed. But they left the tweet up. They didn't take anything down. And then they finally started taking stuff down either the day of or just before um, uh, they took out one or two, but it was so way too little, way too late. Because again, I cannot stand Vladimir Putin or Viktor Orban or these other people uh, or the Chinese Communist Party, the mm. way it's treating the Uyghurs. But they're not using their social media accounts to spread hate speech and to incite. And if they did, and look, the Ayatollah Khamenei 
he had the tweet taken down, completely taken down. That was vaccine disinformation. He was trying to cast this doubt about the, the British or, or American vaccines or whatever that was taken down. So I think you're going to start to see them be more flexible, but it's not that Trump Trump's thing wasn't arbitrary. He went beyond that line and then he started digging a hole all the way to China from that line. So for me, I don't think anybody should be bothered by that. And parlor was basically a terrorist recruitment incitement network. I mean, um, I will say that I'm pretty sure I read that someone did an investigation and none of the, the stuff that went on at the Capitol was discussed, basically. Like, none of the stuff was organized on Parler. Um, it wasn't, that's, that's not where the, the organizing happened. And to your point about, about like, Muslims um, and, and people in India um, being, like, doxxed or, or, or whatever exactly is happening like that's that's incitement of violence right there they're calling for people to be killed they're sharing stuff like that so surely then facebook should be uh, be removed from the the, the apple store and from, <laughs> you know like the, the, this is my point is like like all of these places are 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 are, are places where people can discuss um both amazing and, and fucking horrible disgusting things and i think that the 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 decision to to remove parlor was a was a bit of a mistake because it's it's setting a standard that that, that the rest of the social media platforms can't stand up to so <laughs> but um anyway well i'll have to look into the parlor thing but i i agree completely with you it should not be arbitrarily up to these executives and i think you're going to see with the biden administration you're going to see legislation about regulating these social media platforms in terms of hate speech mm. incitement disinformation and misinformation for me those are my four categories anything else is fair game okay mm -hmm. but those four things and the disinformation misinformation are harder to adjudicate but you know the vaccine tweet from the ayatollah Khamenei in iran clear mm -hmm. that's easy and the the real problem that you're going to have is that it's, it's not free speech in the sense that if these people really want to spew their hate and their complete disinformation and their right-wing extremism, they are free to set up their own network and to have their own distribution chains because these are all private companies and they don't have to, you know, th there's no law, there's nothing in the constitution that says this private company has to guarantee this app or this platform. They are free to put up their billboards like the, the Christians do with the Jesus wants to save you throughout the South. They're free to, you use real uh, clear channel and, and other right-wing friendly platforms. Um, it does bother me how much we depend on social media for our information, how that, how these private companies have so much control over our lives, our personal information and how arbitrary their decisions are. I think their algorithms for how we see what we see absolutely needs to be made transparent because they drive a lot of hate and division. They drive a lot of partisanship on both sides. They create echo chambers. None of that's good. I think all of that, we need to take a blow the lid off all that. We need to unmask it. They need to be a lot more tightly regulated. And they actually, to me, have criminal liability, whether it's India or this election. Um, and what they're doing now is way too little, way too late. And it is arbitrary. They're giving, they're giving an explanation. I know Twitter put out a message. Mm. But the fact of the matter is they have rules that Trump had been violating for years. And because he was Donald Trump, because he was the president, they let him get away with it. So they didn't even enforce their own rules. Mm. So it's they do whatever they want, whenever they want. And to be frank, I think that the main reason they did this is because he lost. <laughs> and they were seeing a sea change of the amount of people coming in on the other side. And for years, when Trump was in charge, 
his platform or his tweets gave Twitter and his all his social media activity was great business for these social media companies. They made a killing, pun intended, yeah. off of his activity on their platform. But now that he's more disgraced and a pariah, now they turn on him when it's beyond the pale. It's so obvious. I'm not giving them any credit at this point. It's way too little, way too late. It's time to bring in Congress and regulate them. And I don't know what the situation in the UK is. I know that you have much tougher privacy laws, right? Yeah, but I mean, there's still like social media isn't regulated. Our data is a little bit more protected. But um, anyway, I have got a run. That seems like a nice place to leave it. Hopefully we'll get some sort of reining in of these um, uh, tech billionaires. And hopefully America does not descend into civil war. So... <laughs> Well, the last, the last point I want to leave you with is that that I hate to say it, but I really think right now you have, the FBI has warned that every state capital is likely the target of specific threats of violent insurrection. They are tracking social media chatter on some of these dark web corners and what have you as akin to what we saw before the 9-11 attacks or, 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 or before major ISIS attacks where they can monitor these terrorist networks and um, they, they know something big is going down. And so we're looking at a possible uprising all across the country. And, you know, I know there are people who voted for Trump. There are 74 million of them. And I know the vast majority of them support him, but the ones, and there's not just a few of them, this is not just five or 10%. They are supporting violent uprisings and terror. Literally, you had Republicans during the impeachment vote, 4.7% of 10 out of 211 voted to impeach. But you had other Republicans who told their colleagues in tears that they could not vote for impeachment because they were afraid of their lives. They were afraid for their families' lives. That is the definition of terrorism. You are using terror to influence politics and change how people vote or behave. And that's what we are facing. And this is tens of millions of Americans who are okay with this. And this is why the disinformation is so different. If Trump stole the election, I know what I'd be willing to do if I had enough of my countrymen with me. Mm -hmm. I know that I'd be surrounding the White House and Congress if they were literally completely illegitimately stealing the election mm -hmm. and giving votes, electoral votes to Trump that he did not win through the vote. Uh, these people actually believe that's happening. Mm -hmm. And so you understand they're completely wrong. And I'm sorry, they're dumbasses for being manipulated and allowing themselves to be manipulated by easily verifiably false, crazy reporting, mm -hmm. quote unquote reporting. But if they believe that for real. So this is the most dangerous moment in the history of the United States since the Cuban Missile Crisis and since the Civil War. 9-11 was nothing, honestly. Like 9-11 was terrible and several thousand people died and that was awful. But Al-Qaeda was never going to destroy our government or take over. Even if a plane had hit Congress, we would have rebuilt it and just had new elections. Like the system was not under mortal threat. The system is under mortal threat right now. And that's why they took Trump off social media because if he was allowed to persist, it would be so much worse. And even without him on social media, the American Republic is facing its greatest threat since the Cuban Missile Crisis and the greatest internal threat since the Confederate armies, the rebel armies, the traitorous rebel armies of the Civil War 
were threatening Washington in 1864. And that's the closest a rebel Confederate battle flag, Fort Stevens in Washington to the north of the Capitol, ever got to the United States seat of government until people brought the rebel flag in during Trump's insurrection. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit wild. The, but um, things might get wilder. Things might calm down. We'll see what happens. But um, Brian, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. Until next time, thanks for listening.